Welcome to Near Death Experience Podcast. I'm Chaz Hathaway. Today we're going to share the experience of Amy Call. Now, if you get on YouTube or, or anywhere on the internet and just search for Amy Call Near Death Experience, you're going to find numerous videos of her sharing her experience, which I highly recommend doing because hearing it from her own voice, you really can sense the, uh, the authenticity behind it, the, uh, the realness of it. Um, but this text account that I found on ndestories.org of Amy Call's experience has some details and, and a little bit more depth to the time that she spent on the other side that I haven't come across in her videos and, and audio so far. So I'm going to go ahead and read this, but again, and I'll try to link to some of her videos. She goes into more detail about the medical side and, and some of the challenges that she dealt with there in some of her videos. But uh, I thought this was the account that kind of stood out to me the most. So I'm going to go ahead and read it. Since I was 18, I'd had chronic pain. Doctors had labeled as fibromyalgia. It was a torturous existence and sleep was difficult to come by. By the time of the experience, and even long before, I was sleeping just 15 minutes at a time, and then I'd have to move and stretch in bed, as it was too painful to hold still for long. So I was constantly tired. My doctor had an idea for a medication that wasn't typically used for sleep, but might have the side effect of numbing me. I noticed that whenever I took it, even in the tiniest amounts, my nose would swell and my Breathing became too shallow. It was scary and uncomfortable, but the relief from pain came, so the temptation to take it was great. I informed the doctor that I believed I was having an allergic reaction to the medication, and he chuckled and said that my body simply needed to get used to the med, and that the amount I was taking was too low. It couldn't possibly do anything. He asked me to take three whole pills. I had been taking one half of a half. One night, after a week of agonizing pain and no sleep, I considered the doctor's prescription of three whole pills and decided to take them all and trust him. I went to bed after taking all three and within minutes felt myself begin to go numb. Then the inside of my nasal passage swelled up and I couldn't breathe at all. I couldn't even open my mouth. I was struggling to get air, but could not. My entire body felt like it was mummified. I, could call, I couldn't call out for help, and it only took a couple of minutes before the struggle was over. There was a strong suction coming from the top of my head like a vacuum and an absolute sense of relief. There was no longer a need to breathe and no feeling of being drugged on a medication. I had no sense of my own body. I've forgotten much of this part, but it seems I traveled very quickly. This is a void area for me. The next thing I remember is pulling through some kind of portal along with many others. It felt like I was in a waiting room. There were many others coming through and I began to watch them move in. I watched a group of about three teen teenage boys come through who had an energy wit energy and way about them that was very obnoxious. They were big and seemed stupid and even 
a little threatening. As I was looking at them, it came to me that they had died in a car accident where they had all been drunk. Another woman came through who looked to be in her 50s or so. She was quite the chatterbox and was talking on and on. I listened to her for a minute and she told me how proud she was of her sexy body and how well she had taken care of herself in her life, how good she looked. She proceeded to tell, try to show me her body. I noticed that she had a fake color of skin, like she'd either been going to, a tanning, uh, going to tanning booths or laying out under the sun for way too long. Her hair looked to be a fake color of blonde, and even her breasts looked like she had had implants, which I seemed to just know without having to ask. It came to me that she died of skin cancer. She'd seem, she seemed to want to talk about herself a lot, and I became bored and moved on. A lot of others came through. This room or area did not feel very bright to me, and despite the fact that I was receiving somehow information that these people were dead, I hadn't accepted that, because everything felt so real and natural, so seemingly alive. Nothing felt shocking or strange. I was simply very curious about what it was all about. There was a young woman who came up to me. She had beautiful, almost greenish eyes and the most lovely shade of red hair. She began to tell me about herself. She told me that she had died with a feeling that was similar to drowning, slowly backing out with no way to breathe, slowly blacking out with no way to breathe. And yet I wasn't sure if she had actually drowned. While she told me of her death telepathically, I actually experienced at a certain level what she felt. I was able to physically parallel her own memory. She started to give me orders. Tell them this, etc. Tell them that, etc. She was giving me personal information about herself. I had no idea why, but I politely listened. One thing she told me was that she wanted me to tell them that I love to sing. She gave me a quick impromptu singing performance for those immediately around us, and I thought her voice was beautiful. I was also awed by how she was free during her performance to actually elevate herself and move through the space around her without touching the ground. It was like watching an underwater dance without the water. I don't know why I wasn't more shocked, or why I accepted this so well. I also noticed how, at a certain point of her song, her beautiful hair, red hair, seemed to grow longer. I thought it was interesting that she could choose to have longer hair at will. This young woman, maybe close to age 19 or 20, also told me how she had regretted not hanging in there how it would have been better to stay and work out her issues. But she to also told me to tell them how free I feel now. I must stop and make a clear note that every word that I offer on communication from my near-death experience came without actual verbal words. There were very few technical precise words, technically precise words, what I'm relaying is what came to me through telepathic communications. I never felt like I was hearing anything auditory at all. People would just look at each other and 
often even with the same mouth or with some mouth movements, but the messages would come through so quickly without any verbal effort and from the inside rather than outside of the South. So when I quote communications here, I'm just offering the closest thing to what was actually being telepathically spoken instantly. I remember that we had congregated into a much bigger and brighter room or area where there were so many, many others present. Everyone was so busy and getting to know each other. It felt similar to the scene in a high school cafeteria. People even seemed to want to quickly find others they related to or felt at ease with. And there were even little groups that began to form. At a certain interval, I noticed a man move into the room. I sensed something about him. He felt safe and balanced to me. I just knew that I could trust him to tell me what was going on. It still had not occurred to me that I might be dead, and I wasn't sure I accepted the fact that these people were deceased either. So I moved toward this man, and another note, moving didn't really involve walking, just intent to, and desire to go, and approached him with a question. Who are you? He looked at me and realized he was, and I realized he was kind of a teacher or guide for this group. He explained that he had died in a truck accident. He had been a truck driver by profession. He was a Latino man. He told me that he was not a perfect man, but that he had mastered humility. I know that sounds ironic, but when I was with him, I could tr feel truly that he hadn't a shred of self-regard, or as we'd say, pride about him. He explained that he'd come to help teach them the importance of humility to this group of people, because they had been so self-absorbed in their lives, they hadn't been able to learn vital lessons and had aborted their own lives. He seemed to be telling me that in one way or another, these people had committed suicide. This made me wonder, as I hadn't noticed anyone in the room who had hung themselves, intentionally overdosed on drugs, shot themselves, or things like that. I was a bit confused by how the term suicide could come to mean with these people. But I came to understand that the casual disregard for life and the fl flagrant and selfish risks that one might take, whether involved in drug use, drunk driving, or any kind of action that could essentially lead to one's own demise, is what is considered suicide, at least where I was. When a human takes their own life in desperation due to emotional or mental imbalances or physical agony or depression so severe, this is very similar to when an, a very older, old person gets so tired of hanging on that they will themselves to go, simply stop eating and breathing, etc. This is not punished, so to speak, on the other side. It is different. It is just the human willing themselves out of this life cycle. The teacher continued to offer more information. He explained how in aborting their own lives, these people would have a rest period, but that learning what they needed to learn would be difficult. I came to understand that as much as they were taught and infused with good and, and helpful information there, and even if they agreed wholeheartedly with what was being taught or what they needed to learn, 
that learning without a body is like learning to get over an addiction to drugs with no opportunity to do the drugs. Or like learning to love one's own enemy without having enemies to deal with. He explained how he needed to teach this group of people how vital it is to let go of themselves, how to lose their obsession with themselves, how they will be stagnant in all progress if they cannot unchain themselves from their own self-obsessions. He had to teach them the importance of humility. And yet he shook his head, smiling slightly, and he implied that there was still very little he could help them with without their bodies. His hope was to instill more of a passion for what he had to teach, strong enough that it would lead a seed or leave a seed of light that might stay with them through their sojourns. When this particular teacher was transmitted transmitting information to me, as oddly as it sounds, I felt a jolt of sudden horror. I queried, What are these people? He came in more clearly, telepathically. They are deceased. They have died. I asked him point blank, If these people are dead, what am I? I don't know why it took me so long to grasp the fact of this reality. He explained gently, They are dead. You are in between. You are as if in a coma. You're not the same. With that, I started up. I have got to get out of here then. As I moved toward the corner of the room to leave, at least a couple of the drunken, stupid boys suddenly lunged at me with words like, She's alive! Touch her! It was very creepy. They were actually grabbing at me and trying to yank me back toward them. They even tried to make sexual advances. I was horrified. So I now believe that some of the dead, if not all, still have many earthly or worldly desires. Looking back at that part of my experience, I was astounded by how earthly, how even animal-like people can be on the other side. One might expect that upon entering through death's door, there would be a sudden enlightenment, that maybe everyone would realize their absolute goodness and choose light and a fresh start, possibly become more angelic and purified. But in that place, everyone came in exactly as they'd been before. I'd also wondered at religion while I was there, and I quickly received the sense that this wasn't important, that one's religion, no matter which they joined or didn't join on earth, was always what was written in their own heart. It was about who the person was, not what label they wore or who they or who or what they worshipped or believed in. Your own frequency, tone, mathematical equation, and, and vibration says it all. And you can't tinker, tinker with that. You are just who you are. I learned that we are here to learn how to love divinely. And to become masters of ourselves. To nail down our own lower natures. And to raise up within ourselves our own highest self. We are all working toward oneness again. When I left that initial place, I began to move quickly, and I felt that I was safe and comfortable. I felt enveloped in love. There was something or someone tending to me, and I seemed to be at absolute peace with this person. 
There was so much light coming from this person's face, I could scarcely see any features in detail, but faintly remember slightly wavy dark hair. And I believe this guide was male. But even so, I felt a real maternal sense toward him. It was as if he were like a mother to me. So I hesitate to label him with a gender. I'm not too concerned with that matter, though. I will refer to this guide as male, though, to make things easier for writing purposes. If I knew his name while with him, then it was taken from me upon return to my body because I no longer remember it. I wouldn't be shocked to discover that much memory was pulled from me in regard to personal details of my guide, because even my faint memories have been proven uh, painful for me and have made me ache to return. I can't imagine remembering more. It would make being here so much harder. We were traveling upward. I suppose. My own vibration was changing. There was a big change in frequency, like I was tuning into a different radio station on a grand scale. I was out in the universe, and I was being given a kind of show, like having an astronomy teacher speak on, a be on the beauty of the universe while laying under the stars at night. But I was out there amidst them, and this part seems to have been made foggy for me since my return. But I remember vaguely that during this scene, I saw something like holographic words and numbers move in front of me past the stars, and it felt like I was being downloaded with information. I felt at the time like I understood everything, that I felt the full truth of laws and order in the universe, one thing that I held on to was the beautiful math of the universe. I remember coming to understand that there was a supreme and perfect kind of math that was in and of all things that existed. I remember being told something about Einstein. I was so excited. I was such a it was such a pleasant experience. I was also shown how there is a kind of clockwork in the sky how the stars themselves actually hold a sort of map or mathematical key to everything that is. You are written in the stars, I was told. Everything is. I recall how thrilling this part of my near-death experience was for me. I was also told that this map in the stars, the keys that are hidden there, have been known for a long time, and that these things have been sorely corrupted and turned into things of ill purpose in, the most, in most cases on our planet. All of my life I had felt confusion and dismay at what I believed was lack of order. When I saw suffering that I deemed unnecessary, or sadness, or anything that I couldn't make sense of, I'd been ri riddled with a painful impression of chaos. I was flabbergasted that the God I so frequently believed in and was tough to trust could not or could do no better than what I had beheld in my everyday life. It tore at my soul, and I prayed daily and sometimes for hours and hours, begging for an answer that could provide some kind of reckoning. I'd been taught in my life that we had one life to live, I never even considered reincarnation, and that some people get to have the most incredible luxury and wonders that anyone could imagine, 
and others are tested because of their valiant spirits and have to deal with terrible miseries to prove their strength, while others, like small children all over the world, are born to suffer through starvation and disease, rape, mutilation, even years and years of torture, only to die and then get their just reward. This didn't seem like much of a test to me. It just seemed insane. I couldn't make logic of it. When I begged religious leaders for answers, I was told that sometimes God lets wicked people torture good people so that he can punish the wicked for their deeds. Otherwise, he couldn't punish them for anything. The whole system just seemed sick to me. I couldn't completely respect this notion. In my NDE, though, I came to understand that most of us have lived much, much longer than we could even fathom. That our lives that feel so very long are infinitesimally small, or in infinitesimal when placed in the whole picture, which for that matter can't even be framed. I was shown how every single individual, through their own free will, chooses paths that mathematically take them to the circumstances of their next existence or life. That nothing at all sits in accident or chaos. That every single aspect of our lives are ruled by natural laws that we placed ourselves in. That in a sense, we create our own worlds. I was shown how one can never assume either that if someone lives a life of suffering, that this is because of evil deeds. Many may choose a life of suffering because of what it awakens in them, or to help another, etc. We can never, never assume that we can be accurate in guessing why each being lives the life they live. I cannot describe the relief, the refreshing, peaceful balm this knowledge was for me. To finally gather this truth that I'd yearned for all of my life. That all is good. That there is sense and beauty all around. That no one is just free-falling as it had seemed before. That God doesn't just get to toy with us as he pleases with random ideas of tests, including rewards and punishments that just depend upon his current mood or mindset. While in this experience, out of the vast expanse of stars and planets, moons and knowledge, I knew complete trust for what, it, for what felt like the first time. This was bliss for me. I had lived in fear and distrust and panic for 30 consecutive years. I want to add that in my life I have always had a mental block when it came to math. Even the simplest math ideas, starting from the time I was only six years old, were too difficult for me to approach. I would shut down when anything with numbers was presented to me. So in my near-death experience, while being shown such an enormous array of gorgeous mathematical equations and facts and visual numerical splendor, I was overjoyed at my ability to thoroughly compre comprehend all of it. Unfortunately, at my return, I was discouraged to find that I could not relay or bring with me the expansive amount of math understanding and knowledge I'd been so anxious to share with others. I was, and still am, in love with numbers. That was a big leap forward.
I was also brought before what appeared to be a living picture of our planet. While I was looking at it, I saw a word above it. I believe it was something like novate or novata or novato. One of those three words. Then the whole planet seemed to open up like an eyelid that slowly awakens to dawn. It looked like or it looked to be one eye opening up. There was a lovely, soft woman's voice who spoke the days of the week in a different language, and then said, Prepare for the seventh day. At this, I saw the curious visual of a piano. The next thing I remember is traveling quickly over the earth. It felt very surreal while doing so, it almost seemed like that I was being shown a movie, and yet the movie seemed alive, like flying over a panoramic movie of a live scene on Earth. I believe they had a ride like this at Disneyland. I have lost much, much of what I saw, but I held on to the main idea of what I was being told while moving over the planet, or rather, while having a movie of the planet being showed before me. There were fields of crops all over in specific. As I would zoom in and get close, for instance, to a field of wheat, I would be told, This has been poisoned. The food has been altered and poisoned. It is no longer pure. The people are consuming impure food. This is death. I felt sad and concerned about this and wondered why or how it was possible. How could a field of wheat or corn be poisoned? And why? I was told that man should return to the earth or death would ensue everywhere. It was said again and again during this scene to return to the earth. I was told that upon my return that I should look for pure food, unadulterated, and only consume that which is clean but I dismissed this somewhat because I had no intention of returning. My guide stood by at a certain time. It was very difficult for me to place any of this in chronological order as time felt so different there. It was almost as if many things happened at once and yet separately. So there are parts of this experience I can't honestly place in any order. And he lovingly stayed as my support while I had a kind of life review. I never felt chastised at all, even though I know I've been very cruel at times and have hurt many people. I've lost my temper in horrible ways and I have had great trouble with forgiveness, and yet I felt only love and understanding through the entire life review. What it felt like to me was that I was being given the opportunity and gift of being able to stand back and more fully understand and love myself. I was able to feel exactly what others around me had felt during my life. I understood how everything I did and said and even thought had touched others around me in one way or another. I was able to even enter the minds and emotional centers of many who had been around me and understood and understand when or where they were coming from in their own thinking, how their own personal views and lives' experiences had brought them to the places each stood. I felt their own strugglings and their own fears, their own desperate need for love and approval, 
And more than anything, I could see how childlike everyone was. With everyone, every person I viewed, including myself, I was able to see and feel with a higher mind and eye. And the feeling I had toward everyone was nothing less than what a loving mother would feel for her, for her own children at toddler age. It was actually comical at moments. I could feel how the elders, as I would call them, these are those who are helpers on the other side, who have mastered themselves in many or all ways and help work with us, see us and find so much humor in the way we do things. It might seem brutally annoying to consider when we are in the midst of a great argument or drama that is playing out in our lives, that the elders viewing these things very much like when a mother sees her two-year-old scream and cry and bop another child on the head with a stuffed animal. The mother doesn't want her child to fall apart and become hysterical and cry. She feels for her child, but at the same time, she sees a little bit of comedy in how seriously the child takes what is usually a trivial drama. She continues to love her child and thinks the world of it, hoping it will go on enjoying the day, living and learning. This was a big light bulb moment for me because I had entertained the dark idea during my life that every, every little less than perfect action of mine was being watched by God and judged with anger and great sadness. I felt constant guilt for my mistakes and belabored over the dread of being watched with se severe or at least very stern eyes. I wanted to please, and I believed that I was so often falling short. This had been a maddening way to live, so getting the chance to view others from a much higher frequency was wonderful, to say the least. And knowing how much love I felt as I watched or sensed others in their personal situations made me want to live more in joy rather than guilt and worry. No one was mad at me. I was able to explore the mind of energetic or energetic pattern of one of my life's uh, sworn enemies, someone I couldn't imagine forgiving for what I'd witnessed. And yet, coming back from my NDE, I could feel nothing more than such a flood of love for this woman that I dived in at the chance to write her a letter and tell her how much I loved her and to ask for forgiveness for the energetic weight I might have held over her from my own dark thoughts and anger. She could have been my own firstborn. That is how much I adored her at that time, because I was able to feel the divine love for her that the essence that God is feels towards her. I too couldn't help but love her in a similar way. It was such a surprisingly marvelous feeling to relinquish the burden of my own anger and judgments, much of, what I hadn't, much of which I hadn't even carried consciously for most of my years. Surveying all of this, I wanted to note that I felt a higher part of me that had compassion on the me that was so ignorant and juvenile. It seemed to understand what I was working with in every detail, and it only wanted for my joy. I felt that toward my own self, if that makes any sense, I desired to have my own 
lower, or I desired to have my lower self awaken and to be filled with love and joy. I wanted for my lower childlike self to be kinder, to be more conscious, and to find peace. I am forever grateful for my life review and what I took from it. I did not have an experience of seeing God as an old man in a big white robe, sitting on a throne, although that was the most prominent image I might have held in my mind formerly. At my, in my near-death experience, God was the mind, or maybe I'd say the order of all things. God felt to be the supreme highest vibration and frequency that felt more like an essence than an old man to me. It was all around and in everything, and God no longer felt male to me. I didn't sense a gender, if there was one. The idea of just seeing the idea of that just seemed silly to me from the other side. God was just all that is beautiful and peaceful and one and all that is good. And everything did feel so good to me there. In fact, I came back with this knowing that despite what seemed good or bad before, it now became united to be only good. Because I trusted and knew that everything was in its right place, even when people made decisions that I didn't agree with myself, I still felt that in the overall picture, it was all good. I had this, know I had this knowing as well, that there was an essence or spark of the highest, as I refer to God, in everything, in every mineral, mineral vegetable, animal, and human, and beyond. I just knew that the highest waited within everything, to expand and create and grow and experience. I lost all desire to analyze everything in life as I'd done before through religious examples. The, by trying to judge everything, uh, every little thing as being either good or bad, I wasn't concerned. We are all just consciousness experiencing life and learning how to love, create, and develop to the highest we can be. I knew how to choose what felt right for me and to trust more. That when something felt unjust or imbalanced, to do what I could to work toward harmony, but to not worry about that which I had no control over. I know that eventually, even with, uh, without our taking over the controls, the universe is so full of order it always finds a way to balance everything because the universe cannot exist without perfect balance and it will continue to exist. I had never understood the all-encompassing monster of misery that my duality way of thinking in my life until my NDE. If someone had walked up to me before my near-death experience and had asked me if my duality way of thinking was tiring and miserable for me, I would have been utterly confused and unable to agree with this statement or even make sense of it. I had never been aware of how my mind had always tried to label or judge in one way or another everything I came across. Even if in the ways I thought of as good, for example, she's the nicest, or he's this or that, or that backyard is the prettiest one, etc. It was me judging one thing as better than the other. Dual thinking. 
since coming back from my near-death experience, I find that in my earthly body and mind, this tendency still comes up occasionally, but not as often, and I'm much more conscious of it when I'm doing it. It no longer appeals to me. I don't feel the need. I was able to move across, or I was able to move around the planet and feel different continents, countries, races, even certain smaller cities, states, and people. Each held its own kind of personal vibration and energetic pattern. I learned how we are made each up of many different or various layers of energetic influence. This was fascinating to me. Each race, each country, uh, even a state, each family, in a way, is like an organism, connected to all, but with an influence of its very own and very important purposes. Each is sacred and vital. While with my guide, I was shown many planets and also some moons. I saw one planet, or moon, that appeared to be partially submerged in water. There are no words for how beautiful these scenes were. The colors were so vibrant and rich. I especially loved the hue of blues that I saw. Finally, the planet Earth pulled up in front of me. Or maybe we pulled up in front of it. It was magnificent. It was a floating marble, just like, or just swimming with color. I was ecstatic with awe. As I peered out over the planet, my guide asked me to go back to where I came from, to return. He said that he would be there waiting. At this, I turned to him and felt something I cannot put into mere words. When I received his intention that I should return, it seemed as if my own perfect mother was going to turn and leave me just as a toddler in the middle of a foreign country and desert me. It was so unexpected. It seemed that something wrenched inside of me and tore in half. I actually felt myself heave and fall forward, collapsing. The emotional pain was so deep that I could hardly even cry out. It was as the cry imploded within me, and I felt that I was fracturing like shards of glass all about the floor. I felt myself moan without any attempt. It just drained out of me like a cloud so heavy with rain it could no longer hold its moisture and lets down a rush of waterfall. I wailed from a place I've never felt before. It literally felt as if every organ and cell that was in spirit was bursting with anguish. Every part of me cried out. Telepathically, all I could express was, No! I can never go through this part of my near-death experience without tears and a stinging pain in my chest. To leave him was the worst imaginable possibility. I felt like the only death there could be. Separation. Division from my one and only. The division I felt was unbearable. It, feel, it still feels like my heart is being scorched, as I recall. He came closer to me, and I was comforted, and he calmly encouraged me to be strong. He told me to look to my left. As I did, I saw a school bus pulled up in the distance. A small child was escorted out and brought to me. I recognized that it was my own daughter, who at the time was only four years old. 
She had been asked in her sleep to come in spirit to help me. She walked up to me, tugged at me a little, and sweetly said in an encouraging voice, But Mommy, who will take care of us? Love, on the other side, at least in my experience, is so much bigger, so much more full than here, and you are more honest with your love. You cannot turn others away who are in need. At least that was my experience, and there was no way I could have turned down my own daughter's plea. Without hesitation, I answered, Oh, honey, of course I will. My daughter was then escorted back to the bus. My guide smiled knowingly and reminded me that he was not forcing me to go back. I looked at him and back at the planet Earth, feeling so frightened, still not wanting to depart and separate from him. The pain of division still seared through me. I cried and told him that I wasn't sure I could do it. He said, look to your right. I looked to my right and saw a holographic figure. It was my own mother. It was a view of her in the future, and she seemed tired and in need of help. I will not go into detail here because I do want to respect her privacy, but I felt myself lean toward this futuristic hologram with the desire to touch or help it somehow, even though it wasn't presently occurring. It felt alive to me, and I noted that it seemed, as I leaned toward her, that I was a gardener wanting to prune some foliage. The hologram faded out, and my guide said, You see? It is time. You want to go. I knew I needed to, but still I was fearful, anticipating my departure and loss of this one. I cried out, Please, I can't go without you. There was a pause, and then he answered, Very well. All at once, I felt we were together. We were one. I was safe and calm. I heard him nudge me. Point your finger forward. Touch the planet. This might seem strange, but I reached forward and saw in spirit form my finger reach forward and enter into the energetic field of the planet. I felt a surge of energy run from the tip of my finger and begin to move up. As it hit the first knuckle, there was an, or an, an unbelievable pulling sensation, like a roller coaster ride that whipped me forward. Then I was back in my d dark room at home, but I felt disconnected from my body. My husband must have come to bed because he now, because he was now there sleeping deeply. I could see him and myself. I moved toward my body and tried to connect. I tried to waken it. I could not. I began to panic. I could not feel any sensation of my body at all. I urge, urgently pressed my husband to wake, him, to wake up, calling out to him, but my voice was not there. I continued trying to move my body from the inside, and with no feeling or breath of life, I started to cry out for help. I screamed. Then I felt my guide there. I felt him say, you must push yourself again and again through the throat area. This will trigger a release of energy, and he will hear. You must get him to touch you in order to connect. I could not understand why this would work, but I began to rush through my 
throat area over and over. And then I heard a noise come out of my mouth, out of the mouth, as the mouth dropped open. It was like a creaking door slowly opening, a low frog-like groan that was just air moving out. My husband heard this and woke and asked, Amy, what is it? What's the matter? I couldn't answer. I tried to scream or cry out, but could not. He leaned over and saw, and I saw him shake me. I felt through his hands a level of, inner, of electricity move through me, but I was unable to connect or move. He got up and turned the light on. My eyes were still shut, but I witnessed the look on his face. His sudden, he suddenly went very pale and his mouth dropped open. Beads of sweat formed instantly around his hairline. He was perspiring heavily. I've never seen such a frightened look on his face before. He grabbed me and yanked my body upward toward him, trying to hold me, shouting, Amy! 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 Again and again. He was trying to check my pulse. My head dropped back and he pulled my eyelids open. He was nearly screaming my name. As he continued to shake my body, he later described as uh, he later described as being so heavy, it was shocking, and I was very small and petite at the time. I felt more and more electricity moving all around my body. Then I felt something like a pop, and I was back. I sucked in a long, deep breath and just hung there, limply breathing in and out, unable to speak. I'm going to go ahead and stop there. She goes on um, with the medical things and so on uh, for quite a while. But wow, what an expansive and interesting experience that she describes. I'm fascinated by a number of things. First, when she gets to this place and there's this, you know, chattery lady and then there's these these kids that seem kind of kind of menacing almost. You know, they, they just died in a in a, a drunk driving accident and apparently didn't either know or were con- weren't concerned about it. Maybe they were, I don't know, they had died in a careless, uh, through careless behavior, basically. And when she talks to this man who is a teacher of sorts, uh, uh, who, who is there to teach humility, that he was some great teacher in humility, That's that itself is very interesting, but then she asks him what she's doing there, what's going on. And he explains that these are the suicides. Now, she had spoken to several of the people, and none of them had voluntarily taken their own life. But they had voluntarily chosen actions that would carelessly lead to their death. It's, it's as if they had lost hope in their life, and so they were giving way to things such as either drugs, alcohol, um, partying, you know, dangerous or careless lifestyles that had essentially been slow suicides. You know, if you think about the kind of lives that we live, I've heard Dr. Moody express this uh, when people ask him about suicides and the near-death experience. He's like, you know, it's kind of hard to discuss this because so many of us are committing suicide all the time. We're smoking, we're drinking, or we're, you know, eating terribly, and we're not doing our exercise, and and we're slowly killing ourselves knowing what we should be doing and aren't doing it. 
And this seems to be a little bit of what he's talking about. It, it does make me wonder what she was doing there. You know, she had she reached a point with her pain and suffering that, uh, that those pills, although her doctor prescribed them and said, oh, you'll be fine, your body will get used to them, had she reached a point where she was like, I don't even care at this point. You know, either these will make me feel better or I'll die and I don't care which. And I doubt she thought it in so many words, but it's probably like, you know what? I can't think of anything else. I've just got to get rid of this pain. And so she may have been at that point. Now, that said, the guy had said to her, you're not dead. You're in an in-between place, which brought up the next interesting point, which is that as soon as she said, ah, uh, oh, then I got to get out of here. As soon as she left, or as soon as she tried to leave, people recognized her as being still alive. And the strange guys that had, or the, the boys that had been um, acting uh, stupid, as she put it, um, started coming at her, grabbing her, saying, she's still alive, you know, touch her. I wonder what that meant, touching someone who was still alive. Because it's one thing if you're trying to get to the body of somebody who has died. You know, I, not that I can understand it really, but if there was somebody who was not a very good um, vibration, <laughs> let's, let's put it that way, not a very good person, and had gotten out of their broken, destroyed body and wanted so badly to get back on earth, might they try for another body that is, you know, in a coma or something like that? I don't know. I, and whether it would even be possible is, is doubtful, but yet might they try, you know? And what does it mean to, to come in contact with somebody who is, whose spirit or whose body is still alive, but their spirit is separated? What does it mean to come in contact with that spirit? I don't know, but these stupid boys seemed to know that there was something to that. Um, I'm not sure what, but she gathers out of it that many of the uh, the appetites of the flesh, of the, the things that we are, should overcome or strive to overcome and str struggle with in this life will go with us into the next life. And that was interesting to me. Another interesting point was when this humble guy, a humble teacher, um, was talking about how difficult it was for these people to overcome what they have been trying to overcome. He, he talked about how it's um, kind of like somebody who would, would be trying to overcome a drug addiction, but not never having had drugs. Can you learn that? Well, I suppose one could, but it would be extremely challenging if you're not already addicted to drugs to know how to overcome drug addiction. You know what I mean? And then she says also that it's kind of like trying to learn to love one's enemy when you don't have any enemies. It, it kind of makes me think, I've thought of another analogy for this, and that is playing the piano. Imagine you have a, a keyboard that is broken, so it doesn't make a sound, um, but you can still push the keys and everything. Could you use that to play the, learn to play the piano? And you most certainly could, 
but it would be considerably more challenging than having one that you can hear because you hit the notes you're like okay according to everything i read those should be the notes but i can't hear them and so i don't know if that's right or not i get the impression that's kind of how it is that it's trying in the spirit form you're trying to learn without the resistance that the physical body provides to create the sound of the piano uh, or or the you know the resistance that's caused that allows you to have enemies that you learn to love and and to experience addictions that you learn to overcome um and that's not to say that we should do all these terrible things in this life so that we can overcome those things i don't think that's necessary i think i think there's enough in life that we're faced with be it through depression through loss through physical pain through uh, mental emotional suffering through relationship difficulties that we don't have to seek out suffering in order to be able to overcome the things that we need to overcome and the point is too that these people had developed over their lifetime it, you know it goes both ways the just as the uh, the spirit may not be likely or, or at least may have a very difficult time learning to love enemies while not having enemies it's also difficult for them to grow in the good things as well so to really learn compassion it really helps to be in a mortal world where there are real threats or at least the sense of there being real threats life-threatening situations and reaching out to help and and also knowing that while death might not be at the other end of this struggle but depression might or pain or loss of relationships and so forth the learning compassion is so much easier in a place that lacks compassion and where there is real suffering so in order to really elevate the way our spirits want to we have to experience this life and we have to seek for the things of a better to make good choices and to elevate and bless those around us as we do so we elevate our spirits we raise our vibration and as as the guy that she's talking to um, describes it it sounds like raising vibration is much easier in the flesh than it is in the spirit still possible in the spirit but much more difficult which means we should be using our time here to love to become there to be more compassionate to learn to empathize and and teach and provide love for those around us because that's going to be much more difficult later and it's also much more impactful now because it's here where the real service is needed it's here where where the lives need to be touched need to be changed need to be reached out to in the spirit world there will be ways and opportunities and we will continue to do those things but where suffering is the greatest the opportunity for love and service is the greatest and so i think that's kind of the point that he's making there anyway there's a lot more in there that we could discuss what an incredible experience again i encourage you to go and listen to her lectures um 
watch her videos. She, as far as I can tell, does not have a book out, which is unfortunate. She really should put one out. But uh, that's okay because um, she gave us so much here. And uh, if you would like to leave a comment, you can do that by commenting on the podcast itself, Near Death Experience podcast.org all one word you can also email near death experience podcast at gmail.com or you can call 970-NBE-CAST and it'll give you three minutes per phone call so make your phone call make your comment and if it takes more than three minutes call back as many times as it takes to finish your message and with that thank you all of you so much for listening.